Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. It's three two to Hayes. Swing and a miss. He got him. A devastating changeup that Hayes swings through. And Saucedo hangs a zero on the board here in the 10th inning. A massive punch out for the Mariners lefty. And that's it for the Pirates in the 10th. That lefty, Taylor Saucedo, joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Taylor, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Uh, We're great. Actually, you know, Taylor, I don't mean to start our interview with you on a sour note or on a note of jealousy or envy, Um, but I know that you were so excited for Ryan Grubb to come back to Seattle. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being livid, uh, how (laughs) mad are you that we interviewed Ryan earlier today before we brought you on and did not let you get a question in? Oh, um, I saw that he was on there, but, um, yeah, that would have been nice to just say what's up and tell him how awesome he is. But, yeah, I'm a little jealous, but it's <laughs> That's all right. okay. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, Taylor, I saw you on a, on a podcast, man, and uh, you look jacked, bro. What what have you done this off offseason? Uh, what have you learned about your body? Any changes in your training? Um, yeah, I mean, this year I definitely invested into my body a lot more. You know, I went through – um, my first real full season in the big leagues and, you know, it's taxing and, you know, um, I just wanted to make sure that I came in prepared. So I, I trained at a facility called Exos this year and, you know, they, they really dive deep into like how your body moves and how you need to, to operate better. And, you know, they, they did a really good job and I'm, I'm feeling great. Were there nutritional changes too? You have to cut anything out? Uh, yeah, I, definitely got to, you know, try and stay out this week. It's hard and all that stuff and try to eat clean. But, you know, um, I just want to come in as best as I'm prepared. And, you know, I I try to do that to the best of my ability. What do you miss most? I remember interviewing Chris Carson in a training camp when he was also in – he got in phenomenal shape, put on a ton of muscle, but he he had to cut out wings and he was really (laughs) upset. What do you miss most? Uh, Definitely. I kind of have a sweet tooth. So that that definitely was really hard. I like to eat a nice dinner and then you know have like yeah. something some some type of dessert. So that was definitely the challenging part for me. Yeah, I feel you. I'm a late night snacker, man. I gotta calm myself <laughs> down sometimes, man. Um, man, uh, again, I don't know if I'm from a football background. Um, played baseball in high school. Couldn't hit nothing but a fastball. There goes my career, right? Uh, <laughs> But I love the data. The deeper I dive into baseball and the the more this game advances, the more data you guys get about just your pitches and all that stuff. Um, is there anything that you kind of um, just latched on to when it comes to your performance data and something that you felt that uh, that's going to help you this year? Yeah, I, uh, you know, the – the Mariners do a really good job of, you know, explaining the data in, in not an overcomplicated way. And they just kind of just told me to what to look for and like what's good and what's not. And so I just really honed in on that. And, you know, I don't, you know, I know, you know when it's early, you could say, oh, my stuff might not be as sharp or any of that. But as long as like the shape and all of that is still there, um, you know that it's eventually going to come. And so I've just, I just really focused on the things that, they told me to look out for and, and to work on. And, and, you know, it was a really good off season. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm feeling really good. 
How much of spring training and reporting feels a little bit like uh, getting back to school after summer? I know that obviously it was winter in the off season, but you get to see some friends. Like, who are you excited to see? Uh, I'm just excited to see the boys in the pen, you know, and, and honestly, everybody, you know, I think we have such a special group here that's really close. And, you know, I kept in contact with just about everybody, you know, and it, it was just, it was so exciting just to be back and be there and be with everybody and being out in the field. And, you know, obviously we got really nice weather down here in Arizona and just being out in the sun and, and hearing those cleats, you know, clank. And it's just, it's really good. So it definitely for sure has that first, uh, day of school vibes right speaking of the the boys in the pen man there's been some changes right uh seawald obviously during the season and then uh topa during the off season then you have vote who is now the manager of the guardians um how does that how does that change anything that you do or at all and then does the absence of topa kind of elevate uh your position uh, when it comes to your role in the bullpen yeah you know i think topa's for sure gonna be missed he was a huge part in in what we did last year and you know, his career took off, you know, for him. And, you know, we had such a such a good group there last year. And we all kind of knew with vote like, he didn't belong there. Like, we like we got spoiled with having him out there. And so we kind of figured, you know, he was going to be gone in a different role. And we, we hoped that he would still have been here with us because, you know, he was such a huge, huge lift for everybody in that pen because, you know, for a lot of like guys like me, Gabe, and, and Topa, like, we haven't been able to navigate the the big leagues for a full season. And to have Vote down there and, and tell us everything and kind of just help us through everything about the ups and downs and, you know, the communication was just so effortless. And, you know, everybody became so close because of that. Like, we still – I still text Vote because, you know, he's a, he's a big 49ers guy. So, like, I'll send him a message every now and then. And, you know, like – uh, so, you know, it's just, it's definitely going to be different this year, but they put the right guys in there and, you know, we added Santos and, you know, we have Tony Arnick down there and it's going to be, it's just, it's going to be like it, like, it not, like nothing ever changed. And, you know, I, I think we're all really excited because of the things that we did last year and we're really excited to get after it. There's a, there's a really good buzz right now around this team and I could tell boys are really hungry. Did you send Vote a text after the Super Bowl, or did you let him heal for a little bit? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've let him heal. I haven't touched that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, leave um, that one yeah, alone, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent him one when the Seahawks were in first place uh, early in the season. I sent him a screenshot of that, and he was like, he sent me a few choice of words back, and I was like, you know, hey, I got to enjoy it while I can. So Yeah. Hey, Taylor, I don't know. Um, I'm, I was actually born in Honolulu as well. Um, oh, my really? dad was in the Marines. I believe your dad was in the Marines. I don't claim Honolulu. I was only there for like three, four years. Do you claim Honolulu? I, I was, I was the same. I was only there for about three years and I actually, uh, played college baseball with, uh, with another fellow Hawaiian and he, uh, he is like from the Island and he was like, if you're born on the Island, then you are, you are Hawaiian. So because of him, I, I claim it, but you know, <laughs> I, my roots, my roots are definitely in in Seattle.
you guys can pick and choose. You would bump when you claim it, though. Like all of a sudden, if it's a benefit, you can be like, you know, us Islanders. Us Islanders. <laughs> right, right. When I, when I go back, I'm always like, hey, I'm back in my homeland, you know? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, well, uh, you are obviously uh, back at uh, spring training, seeing everyone there. Um, it may be a little too early to ask since pitchers and catchers just reported, but did Scott Service have like any early messaging for you guys as far as kind of like the goal for the 2024 season? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, we had strong goals last year, and, and when you come up short the way that we did, you know, it, it leaves a huge hunger in your mouth. And you know, and we just we're we're all itching to get back to it. And you know, there's great expectations, especially with the team that we have. And you know, and he's he's expressed that to us, especially today with everybody back and what he expects of this team and you know the goals are big and and as they should be because we there's a really special team here and i could feel it like like last year you know i think it was more of like all right you know we made playoffs finally i think we're just going to go back and do it again and you know we kind of got kicked in the mouth a little bit last year and you know and like i said when you fall short like that that kind of just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth and i and i know everybody here is not just to make it, but to win the West. And um, and you could just tell, like, everybody came ready. Like, everybody is just, like, itching to get this thing going. Like, we want games now. We want to get through spring training. And we want to come, hit the gates running. What's the offseason like for you as far as, as information, right? Guys being cut, trades being made. Um, do you have, like, a – uh, a text thread of you you and the guys in the pen talking about what's going on, or do you kind of just get the information as we get it and, and sit back and watch and see who's going to be there when training camp starts or spring training? Oh, no, yeah, we, we, uh, we, we definitely still had our group chat from like the season and, you know, guys would, you know, text uh, throughout and be like, Hey, you know, you guys will probably see it soon, you know, now soon, but and I'm, I'm gone or I'm, I'm going here now. And, you know, that, but that's the business and and it sucks and you know and you, you hate to see it but yeah we we uh still we definitely let each other know before things happen and so you know it always sucks although I didn't I didn't know the the Toba thing happened and you know I was really close with Toba and so that one yeah. that one kind of hit the heart a little bit um, you know, related to just to lighten it up, related to uh, group chats. One of the sacred rules of group chats is there's always the side group chat. You know what I mean? Now, is yeah, there like yeah. a main group chat of like all Mariners pitchers, a side group chat with just bullpen guys where you guys are like, oh, my God, these divas or like <laughs> or is there a side group chat from the bullpen group chat? Um, yeah, I de- we definitely have some side group chats, um, <laughs> like some of the guys, some of the bullpens. And then, you know, like you said, you, we have the main ones. But um no, it's it's always all love, but sometimes you know the bullpen talk could be different than you know what the hitters are talking about. So we kind of <laughs> got to separate ourselves. We're a little we're a little wired a little differently, and sometimes Wait. the the hitters are like, "What's wrong with you guys?" Is there is there a group chat of all Mariners players? Yes, that's an insane group chat. Who talks yeah, the most? A, <laughs> um, I, I, it's a good mix of everybody. You know, I don't I don't think that there's one person just sending in just messages all the time. It's a it's a good mix, really, honestly. Hey, what um, as the season ended, what what pitch did you feel most confident in? What pitch did you feel like you uh, you need to need to work on a bit? And, and are you going to introduce anything new this year? Um, 
nothing nothing new that I'm introducing. I'm just uh, I think the pitch that I was most confident in last year was my changeup. Um, I felt like I could throw that in any time and uh, get hitters out effectively. I think the pitch that kind of eluded me last year was my slider. That used to be kind of automatic, and I think the only thing that changed with it was when I was originally with the Blue Jays, they wanted me to only throw my slider to lefties. So that was a little bit easier for me and a little bit more effective. But when I came here, they wanted me to throw it to lefties and righties, and I think sometimes I try to overcorrect or try to do too much of it, and so like it wasn't always in the zone, and you know, it's kind of up and down, but it, it still is a really good pitch. And that's kind of the one thing that I was working on yesterday in the bullpen was just the slider and, you know, just not trying to be too fine with it and just trusting it and, you know, mixing it in with different pitches and using the same plane with like, you know, the change up and then the slider and, and, and just getting the same eye level with that and, and all that stuff. How much of that, you know, tweaking the pitches, is done primarily during spring training and once you guys hit the season do you try to lay off too much tweaking pitches or do you still work at it yeah no i mean you you could you could definitely still work on it throughout the season but you know i think you kind of want to be a little bit more you know fine-tuned at that point um you know you you're never like done working on things you're always going to try and see like hey like maybe this grip can work for you but uh, you don't want to try and be doing too much during the season because that's when things start to get out of whack and, you know, could mess up with the arm angle or whatever it is. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it, yeah, is right now, like you, you'll see it in games, like, you know, like some guy might be working on something and, you know, the stats don't really matter. And it's just like, hey, as long as you get that in-game feeling with it, that's all we're looking for. And, you know, it doesn't matter, like, what the results are, you know, because none of it matters right now. It only matters once that opening day is, is starting. So, um, yeah, I think guys for sure will work on things, and, you know, I will be working on things out there as well, and, and we'll see how it goes. Hey, you'll, you'll get to see this new lineup here pretty soon. Um, and, and obviously or you haven't faced these guys yet, but when you look at them on paper, how would you describe this lineup? What's the difference between this lineup and last year's lineup? I just it, it seems like there's a lot more uh, contact. You know, I think last year we were relying on power, um, and you know, obviously we know like that's a bit, a little bit tougher to do in T-Mobile than some other parks. And you know, I think we just went out and got a lot more guys that can hit the ball throughout the the ball uh, throughout the field, and you know, it, it's. From up and down, I don't think there is many breaks. There's not many, like, you know, like, oh, hey, okay, facing the bottom of the lineup now, you know, it, it's it's throughout. It's like, okay, hey, one through nine, we have to focus. And that's going to be tough for, for a lot of pitching staffs. And, you know, I, I think what this front office did to put this team together was was awesome. And, you know, like, like we said earlier, like, obviously you had to lose some guys because of that, but – this team right now is, is definitely one of the favorites. And, you know, and I think a lot of us believe that. And like I said, that's why you could tell how hungry everybody is and, and how ready they are to, to get this thing going. He is Mariners reliever Taylor Saucedo, kind enough to join us from spring training on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Hey, Taylor, we appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks, Taylor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, before we get to headline rewrites bump, I hesitate to do a, a tip of my cap 
you know, to give you a good question when we're in competition for good questions. <laughs> but that last question was a good question. Oh, well, thank you, Stacey. Yeah, it was. it's very interesting to hear from uh, the eyes of a pitcher mm-hmm. what looks different about their own lineup right. and, and about that group. And I love that he mentioned contact. Yeah, that's why I, I can't wait until we um, we interview Seahawk players on on offense. Yeah. So that you can tell us what that defense looks like because they're in the trenches with them, just like uh, Taylor, man. And we'll, exactly. We'll see it. All right, let's get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. <laughs> Headline number one, the Cougs are ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2008 after sweeping Cal and Stanford over the weekend. What's the real headline? Their drought was old enough to start looking at colleges. That was almost a wazoo attendee, that drought was. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. And uh, I appreciate what the Cougs are doing. Uh, The last time running through the Pac-12 conference schedule, they've won 10 of their last 11 and they're doing it in Coog fashion, only allowing 66 points. That's second in the pack. They're second in the pack when it comes to rebound, first when it comes to assists, third when it comes to taking care of the ball. You can't name me one superstar on this WSU basketball team, but there's they're a squad who's putting it all together. I love to see it. Just finish strong, man. You got Arizona coming up on Thursday. That's going to be a tough one. You beat them once. Um, I think a split of that series is fine, but you got to handle business after that. Do you think we'll start seeing those attendance numbers go up? I really, really hope we do. I'm going to start a call to get action, and I'm not even a kook. <laughs> we should see them go. I think they went up a little bit. But it's like, come on, what else are you doing in Pullman during yeah. the winter on a Tuesday or Thursday? Coog uh, play-by-play man Matt Chasna will join us at 1 p.m. Uh, Bump, you mentioned, I don't even know if you can name one of these guys. You know, like it's not a team full of superstars. I am hoping that after our conversation with Matt, a few of you listeners will at least be ready to tune in with a few names that you can start to really recognize. He will educate us for sure. That's for sure. Headline rewrites. NBA All-Star Game was defense optional over the weekend as the Eastern Conference beat the Western Conference 211 to 186. What's the real headline? It was also watching optional, too. I listened to um, ESPN The Daily. They interviewed Brian Windhurst, and he called it um, people that people were saying it was one of the worst All-Star Games. Did you see it that way? I did. Yeah, my kids even thought it was uh, Basudo, man. They're watching us go, Dad, they're not playing defense. I, I tell them, hold on, kids, wait till the fourth quarter. They'll pick <laughs> it up no absolutely not. not it's crazy 65 made threes between the both of these teams only five free throw attempts that lets you know even in the fourth quarter they were not getting to the rack and being fouled you can look at adam silver and the way he presented the trophies and was like all right here we go i mean you guys have disappointed the public here's what needs to happen man you need to have nba all-stars pick one team the 12 best guys, then you have them go up against the 12 best G League guys or the 12 best um, world team that you can put together and then go at it because there's no pride on the line. These mm-hmm. guys have just mailed this thing in. I remember seeing uh, Russell Westbrook go hard, Kobe Bryant back in the day go hard. Even the guys who are on the court now, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, they need to set the tone. And um, I think the the responsibility falls on the younger guys now to say look this is my first or yeah. second time here i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna play defense in the fourth quarter it's just uh it's not fun to watch at all man it, at least give us the fourth quarter of competition i am so sorry for not having this person's handle from x.com but it was a really really funny tweet and it was uh they should threaten to expose the dms of everyone on the losing team you would never <laughs> uh, see a better all-star yes. game in your life it would never be a better performance ever yes. than if those those DMs were going to be exposed. <laughs> <laughs> 
headline rewrites. Headline number three, the Kraken fell four to three to the Red Wings in overtime yesterday. What's the real headline? The Kraken are considering, we got a point. What more do you want from us as a 2014 slogan? Hey. Overtime point. I guess I'll take a point. Yeah. Better than better than none. Um, the, the Red Wings have been playing some good hockey as of late. 12-4-1 since the start of the year. Um, the, the Kraken are 4-7-2 after a franchise record nine-game winning streak. There's some things that still are true. McCann is the best player on the team. 24 goals, 10 assists in the last 14. Um, they're just an up-and-down type of team, man. And I, you got to look at the Kraken the way that we did the Mariners, right? You go on a run. You, you put your spurts together five, six games. You drop a, cu- a couple, put together four or five games. I think that's the type of team they are. They're not going to be dominant throughout the season. Uh, so you just switch your expectations up a little bit, but they're still in the fight. But after the All-Star break, it gets a bit more serious. So uh, you got to put some games together here quickly. Yeah, I, uh, it is a very weird thing to be like, well, you got a point. <laughs> because no one likes getting to that overtime uh, period and the losing. Uh, the Islanders have 14 overtime losses this season, which leads Goodness the NHL. Gracious. I know. It's pretty crazy. It's rough. Uh, Kings are second uh, in the Western Conference with 10. Kraken the most of any team in the Western Conference right now with 11 overtime losses. Um, How many of the we almost had it type speeches do you think Hacksaw has in them? Like, we all, we're almost there, guys. Did you ever... Have you been in a locker room where the speeches just weren't hitting anymore? Oh, like yeah. there's nothing that person could have said because Most you guys definitely. had heard it all. Yeah. Are you willing to share? Uninspiring. Um, it was while I was in college. And yeah. it was just like, all right, we already know we're a 500 team. We almost got there. We're hearing the same speech over and over and over again. Uh, it's more on us. But at that point, I think um, you have to lean on your leaders in a locker room to kind of get that message across because – I mean, the coach standing there saying the same thing over and over. It falls on deaf ears eventually. So the team has to take responsibility, man. And and here's what I love about the hockey culture is that, for the most part, they do that. Everything that I've read and I've heard talking to guys who played or whatnot, um, it's a real accountable type of locker room. So we'll see how accountable they hold each other. And if they just have the roster to compete. I feel like last year um, you have to get somewhat lucky to go on the type of runs that they have. And they did that. So get healthy, get lucky, go on your runs, and win a couple games you're not supposed to win and see what happens. Hoogs play-by-play man Matt Chazanow is going to join us at the top of the hour. You are about 40 minutes away from that. Before we get to it, our takeaways from Ryan Grubb coming up at 1245. And first, some drama surrounding Justin Fields and the Bears. That's coming up next in NFL Headlines. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Chicago, that's how we're starting off NFL headlines. I know that some of you are wondering if Justin Fields could land in Seattle as a replacement for Gino or Drew. Well, maybe, but it's going to take a trade either way. Here's what we do know. Justin Fields has unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. Now, we're kind of in an era where, like it or not, you do have to read into what that stuff means. And let me tell you what. When someone in their early 20s unfollows someone or something on Instagram, I think it usually means something. Yeah. I tried to look at this from a, a different perspective. I tried to think of it as... Okay, well, if he's following the Bears, then their stuff is more likely to pop up on his feed, and he doesn't really want to be locked into sure. what they're saying or what they're doing. But you're right. He knows that unfollowing the Bears is going to cause some type of commotion, and people are going to ask questions. So I think that um, a little bit of both, maybe. I don't want to see what they're saying, and I want to send a message 
So it is what it is. Until he is signed, man, I think he's he has the right to do what he wants to do. Yeah, I think it's fair to, to know, hey, this team is going to draft this quarterback, and when they draft the quarterback, there's going to be a bunch of graphics, and there's going to be interviews, and I don't really want to see that on my feed when I've been traded and when I feel like they've given up on me. Um, but obviously it adds fuel to the fire because everyone's wondering where Justin Fields is going to go. Now, I'm blanking on the name, but who was it that said that Chicago should or might hang on to Fields and draft Caleb It was Caleb Saturday, Williams? Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a horrible decision, and it's also unfair to Justin. I can see why you'd want hypothetically to have a great backup situation. I mean, at that point, you've got two first-round picks, or not first, first-round picks, not first-overall picks, um, as your quarterbacks. Justin Fields is still so young. It doesn't allow him to go to another team that could really use him. And by the way, a lot of teams could. Yeah, he is. Um, he should be the most sought-after quarterback on the market right now. Um, why? Because he's young. You feel like you haven't really been able to tap into what he can really do. He has shown that he is mobile and he can throw the football. Now, I think his touchdown to, uh, to interception ratio isn't the greatest, but I'm not ready to give up on him. I don't think the league is either. Yeah, and again, speaking of the league, teams that are going to need a quarterback and certainly be looking, whether it's in the draft or in free agency via trade, the Falcons, Patriots, Raiders, they're reportedly moving on from Jimmy G, uh, who has a suspension now for performance-enhancing drugs. Steelers, maybe the Seahawks? I don't know. They've got Geno Smith for right now. They're hanging on to him. They just kicked in a $12.7 million fully guaranteed salary, but they are included in CBS Sports list of potential landing spots for fields. Moving on, speaking of quarterback for the Falcons, maybe it's not a priority. Falcons GM Terry Fontenot says that finding a quarterback is a top priority this offseason. Um, I don't know how much they're going to actually commit in terms of like getting one in the draft versus finding one in free agency or what they're going to do. I love the idea of Russell Wilson going there, but here's what he said. We're not going to close any doors, whether it's trades, free agency, the draft. We'll make sure we keep an open mind there. We'll attack it and make sure we get it right. Russell. Russell, oh, man. Russell. That I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I love that idea. Yeah, I like I like that idea too, man. I think that Russell. I said this last year about Russell, and I and I'm gonna say it again. I didn't think I would be saying this again, but this is a crucial part of Russell's career. Like this will determine what the the next four to five years look like for Russell Wilson, whether that be. He is a, uh, a franchise quarterback, which I think he could be with Atlanta, or rather he's a guy that just gets guys ready for the next dude. So um, we shall see, man. It's his, um, I did not see this happening when Russell left Denver. I thought he'd be there for a while. I thought they would be contenders, and um, especially with the defense that they had over there. But things change pretty quickly. I would, I would assume that Russell is in Atlanta. I'm going to go out there and say it. Russell will be in Atlanta. They definitely need someone in Atlanta. Uh, one of the most fascinating things, and I've said it too many times, and I know it's annoying, about Atlanta's roster is the amount of high first-round capital they've spent on offensive weapons without one of those being on quarterback and without having found a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you got a tight end, you got a receiver, you got a running you back, you need a quarterback. Your your defense was, was decent last year. That division is wide open get you a quarterback who's shown that he can play in this league russell is the guy russell or kirk cousins but i feel like russell is a better fit i mean imagine a really really good quarterback with some of the weapons they have in atlanta yeah or imagine a mobile quarterback when you've got B. John robinson right like imagine mm -hmm. there's just so much potential there i mean the falcons are a team that I think has the most volatility heading into the 2024 season in terms of they can be god awful or with this new head coach, 
uh, Raheem Morris, who we heard great things about, with a new quarterback, all of a sudden they're winning a very winnable division. Right. It's fascinating. It is. Uh, all right. The Athletic listed the most likely roster cut from each team. Their pick for Seattle, Jamal Adams. Jamal. Man, it's um, it's unfortunate. I know not for a lot of people because they, they want this to happen. It's unfortunate for Jamal and the Seahawks because when this deal went down, the Hawks rolled the dice on a an all-pro type of dude, and he performed that way. But as injuries happen, um, his value starts to go down when it comes to just playing time and all that good stuff. But I mean, things things must change at times. And that is the NFL roster. You're going to lose guys every single year. I mean, you look at the Baltimore Ravens; they potentially can use their their uh, their leading sacker, and then they can lose their best linebacker because this is just how things happen. Fortunately for Baltimore, those guys will be leaving a great legacy behind. They do leave. They balled out. Situation here is that. Um, Jamal's not leaving on good terms if he were to leave, but I'm still holding out the scenario that Mike McDonald looks at Jamal and says, I could use him in this defense if he is healthy. So um, we'll see, but I think it's likely that it happens. If it does not happen, I completely understand why. Do you think that Jamal Adams, the biggest factor in him not becoming everything Seattle thought he could is injury, or do you think it's something else? I think it's injury. I think injury I has a lot to do with it, and then once you start being injured, it it uh, it changes your mental, right? You hear people talking about you physically. You're not able to do the things that you've been doing your whole life, and it challenges you, man. And it can be frustrating. I've been injured. I've never been the player that Jamal Adams is. I didn't touch that, but I've been injured, and I've I've been I've talked to my body like, come on, man, we have to be able to do this. Um, to be the player of Jamal's caliber and to go through that, I would imagine the mental hurdles are way tougher than what I went through. Russell Wilson on the Mac and Jacks text line to Atlanta, not a popular option. My question, why? I mean, yes, he's going to be in the NFC. The only reason someone would not be popular going to another NFC team is if you're worried they'd make that team, like, really, really good. I like it for the storyline, the idea of Sierra's from Atlanta, so, like, that connection there, the idea of Russell going to a team with a lot of weapons. I still think he can be good. I think that his best years are behind him in Seattle, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll eat crow, but I do think his best years are behind him. I'm still very curious to see what he's got left. And I do not see him ending his playing career in such an unceremonious way being benched in Denver. There's no way. No, nah, there's no way. I've heard guys even um, hint to the fact that he could retire after this year because no team is going to want him. But say, I, I assume he's going to be on the roster. But let's say Russell Wilson does not get picked up on the roster. He's going to be the guy to sit at home, to stay healthy, get in shape. And then when a quarterback goes down, he might get the call and resurrect his career like that. Either way. I don't think Russell Wilson's done in the NFL. Um, still has talent, still has the motivation, and uh, I expect to see him lace him up at some point. I do too. I just, I, I, for someone who cares so much about legacy, as we obviously know that he does, he mentioned it many times here in Seattle. I think that he's going to want his legacy to end on a higher note. It's probably not going to be by going to a Super Bowl and winning at all, but let's hope it's by a winning season or being a starter with a team. I just think that, I think of some of what this past season was in terms of backup quarterbacks. I mean, we saw I forget who, who he was playing, but it was like Aiden O'Connell versus Jake Browning kind of games this year. There are teams badly in need of backups and here in Seattle, there might be fans that are like, Russell Wilson is washed, I'm over him. Right. You know, he sucks, he's horrible. There are NFL teams somewhere that are thinking, we'll take a shot because there are not 32 starting quarterbacks, like really quality starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, you'll you will take a shot on a guy that has shown that he can do it. And um, I think that Russell's two stops in Seattle and obviously in Denver, 
that he learned about himself as well of what he's best at and what he's not great at so i think maybe the third time is the second charm right and he goes to a situation so where he's more open for accountability and right. feedback and that back and forth and uh, it changes just the way that he sees the game because once this game is either taken from you or close to being taken from you you change your perspective on everything man so it could be for for the better with russell wilson man i'm with you I, this dude can still play some ball he's better than a lot of quarterbacks out there former seahawks running back and number one listener of our own curtis rogers mike davis has announced his retirement from the nfl after eight seasons in the league congratulations mike he got his wish we're all talking about him curtis move on mike remain so you're all moving on from you feud which I'm convinced is, was briefly a two-sided feud. Can you explain, what is, explain what, that to me? Yeah. I was hosting solo uh, nights years ago. This was back when Mike Davis was a Seahawk. And I was doing a segment on the Seahawks running back situation at the time because I don't think anybody really emerged as a, a favorite. And I brought up a bunch of names, didn't bring up his, and he was listening at the time. And then he tweeted at the station, thanks for the motivation. And I... Apparently, he thought that my slight was uh, a disrespect of his when, I mean, he hadn't really, he hadn't he really done anything squad. in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. So he was he was kind of an afterthought at that point. He did make the team, I believe, uh, he did. at some point. So. I think that in that one season, 2017, I want to say, obviously, Russell led the team in rushing yards because it was when, like, no running back could stay healthy. I want to say that Mike Davis was second in rushing yards with, like, 200-something. Yeah. It was a it horrendous was, year for the running. Bad. J.D. McKissick had the one rushing touchdown, and I think, I think that Mike Davis led in rushing yards for running backs, but I don't fully remember. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Talking Wazoo Hoops coming up in 20 minutes. Before we get to it, our takeaways from our interview with Ryan Grubb. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Our takeaways from our interview with Ryan Grubb. We didn't have a lot of time to dissect the interview and talk about it. We had to jump into four-down territory, and then we had some other stuff to get to. But now... We have some sound. So if you missed it, don't worry. We got you covered. Um, let's start, for instance, uh, with uh, cut number 25. This was a question about his run game. I thought we evolved into a different type of running team by the end of the season, So, which were ways to highlight the back that we had and the, and the alignment that we had, which we thought were athletic in the pin-pull world, coupled with you know some scheme where we could work on no-pull power. And so I think we, we do a great job being ready to run anything, honestly. And you got to get good at stuff too, right? You can't be an inch deep and a mile wide, of course, but I think that our offense you know provides a lot of answers in the run game. This was obviously a question he was facing going from what people saw as a really explosive pass game to coming to Seattle where people are wondering whether Mike McDonald is going to want more of a Baltimore-esque offense. Um, you asked him that question. You liked what you saw with Washington's run game. Yeah, I like what I saw, and I liked his response, too. I wrote I wrote it down as soon as you said it. It can be an inch deep and a mile wide, I meaning like you got to be really good at something. Then he mentions how over the season his offense evolved when it comes to the run game. And what that tells me is that when he gets here, man, he's not going to be so stubborn to where you keep trying to do the same things and they don't work and they don't work. Um, I also think it was important to highlight just how they ran the football. You talk about pin and pull. He's talking about power and counter. I think that over the past few seasons, the Seahawks have really leaned on zone concepts, which is fine. And I think you're obviously you're going to see zone concepts running the football here when Grubb gets here. But when you do that pin and pull 
showing that power and you get all that movement on, on the offensive line that gets eyes in the backfield and you get guys stepping in the wrong direction. So I hear that clip and I go, all right, he's going to utilize Ken Walker and, and Zach Charbonnet and uh, might be a little heavier on the gap scheme than the zone scheme that we were used to seeing with, uh, with Shane Waldron and the guys that were before him. But yeah, but you have to be really good at something. And I think this year, instead of zone, this team's going to be really good at gap scheme when it comes to running the rock. Do you think that makes more sense for their personnel? I think they can do whatever they want. I think that um, Ken Walker is probably more the zone type of guy. He can do gap. Don't get it twisted. And I think Zach Charbonnet is more the gap type of guy. He, but he can do zone. Don't get it twisted. Um, I also asked him, you know, when he started, was uh, was running the priority? Mm-hmm. Or do you just take what the defense gives him? Kind of knew the answer that was going to be already. You take what the defense is giving you. So the fact that they're able to be multiple in the run game when he was at UW allows me to believe that he will be multiple up here as well. Uh, there's so much stuff here. Do you want to talk about uh, being an aggressive play caller, mesh concepts? I like the play caller question. Okay, let's go to uh, cut number 28. This is what he had to say about being an aggressive play caller. I think when when you need to be, you, you have to be ready to be, you know, and I think that where players and teams can assimilate to you a little bit is that when they know you're not playing for the tie or not to lose, your players will play more aggressive. Now, we have to do that within the parameters of the game and be smart and not foolish, but certainly in, in moments like that, you want to play to win the game. Moments like that obviously stem yeah. from the Apple Cup fourth uh-huh. down call. So in that situation, I hear that I'm not going to be Dan Campbell and get several opportunities to tie the ball game up and still go for two. I'm going to be aggressive. If you're in, And when our play caller is the most aggressive is when they're past midfield and they're in enemy territory and typically around the 40 to 35-yard line because that's where field goals become just harder to hit. And if your defense is playing at a high level to where you get the green light from a Mike McDonald, who's your D coordinator, or calling the, calling the plays, or, or Dirty, who's your D coordinator, coordinator Mm -hmm. you're going to be aggressive if you feel like if you don't get this first down your defense is holding down you're going to be aggressive if you feel like your offensive line is getting a push or your receivers getting open outside you're going to be aggressive and i i like that because i feel like the more football advances the more we're seeing guys go forward on fourth down i feel like growing up i never saw somebody go for it on fourth down until it was late in the game which is a lie obviously they went for it on fourth down no but it feels like a more common thing of late but we're starting but it feels like we see that just a lot more more uh so the fact that he's not scared to do that right he's not scared to to make that tough call if the head coach gives him the nod which DeBoer did in the apple cup uh, against my Cougs, and he did against um oregon as well down on the two-yard line and there, there's a situation right there you got an opportunity to go ahead late in the game inside the five-yard line against oregon and he goes for it you got a chance to put the game away in the middle of the field against wsu and he goes for it and i think both situations um I was fine with him making that aggressive call. So he'll be aggressive, but he's also just going to take what the defense is given. What did he say uh, when we were talking about that fourth down call? He said, I can get 20. Or, like, what, what was he talking about being able to, like, see the look he knew that he wanted? Oh, yeah. I asked him, I go, because coaches know. You call a certain play and you get that pre-snap look. I be in when I coach. I be in the headphones all day, like butter, butter. We're about to bust this wide open. Watch this, because you know you get the look that you it's wanted. Exactly what you wanted. Yeah. So um, I I I knew. I knew that he was going to give me that type of response, but just for my my own healing process, I needed to hear it. Your healing journey. Cut number 27. Let's talk about the similarities between some of the wide receivers he'll work with. There's no question. When I was looking at, you know, who is here and and the tools that are here at uh, Seattle, I thought that there was a lot of familiarity. 
and what would be able to be applicable in the system. So, and I do, I think 11 here looks a little bit like 11 there. You know, those are good option route runners, guys that if you can get somebody flat-footed or a nickel or safety on those guys, they can highlight their skills. And then you got the big bodied X and DK in Rome. And, um, but still, I think that's the thing that was amazing about Rome. And and when I watched DK, I think the same thing is like, these guys are not just nine runners. These guys are crossing route, they're middle field open, they're sitting in zones, they're really versatile for big guys and then you got the experienced route runner in the z locket can do all those things i mean you can move that guy about anywhere i can see those similarities i watched film all last night on just his past game and then i, I honed in on mcmillan because dunze gets a lot of love which he should get and Polk gets a lot of love as well both those guys are ballers they'll be in the league but I'm looking at McMillan because you only got about seven, eight games of McMillan because he was banged up a little bit. And he did a great job of creating those matchups. Not only did he get those matchups on nickels, which, all right, you assume that safeties, but he got, the, he got, he got this guy matchups against linebackers. You're cooked. So as a coach, he does a great job of setting his guys up. He knows that McMillan is going to win this matchup, and he understands how to create those matchups. Mm -hmm. So that's what I see as well. I see him finding ways to get JSN in favorable matches. I think JSN can win against anybody. I think DK can. I think Lockett can. But when you could really exploit that slot position and attack the middle of the field, it opens a lot of things up. All right, the Cougs are ranked in the AP poll for the first time since 2008. This after sweeping Cal and Stanford over the weekend, and Cougs play-by-play man Matt Chazanow joins us next.